So this evening, we're going to begin a several-week study through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll probably be in this book for 12 or, or 14 weeks. We'll be here a while, and uh, I promise there's a lot of wonderful truth in this book. Now, this book is one of, has one of the most recognized passages in it, but it's also one of the most un- misunderstood books. Of course, the group The Birds, they wrote a song including some, some wording from this book. And most of you have probably heard it. To everything there is a season. Turn, 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 turn. That's from the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the bird song. I know you've all heard that. If you've ever watched Forrest Gump, you've heard that song. So that's a, that's a song that was written. The, the author of Moby Dick, Herman Melville, he said Ecclesiastes was the truest of all books. He said you can trust Ecclesiastes because of the sorrow in it. Because of the pain in it. His, his rationale was you can't trust a man who hasn't suffered. You can't trust a man who hasn't had some burdens and some trials and some tribulations. And looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see pain and agony and turmoil. And so he said you can trust this book because of the pain that is in there. Someone who has, who's lived a charmed life, someone who's never suffered or been bothered is someone you cannot trust. But someone who's bled, someone who's suffered, someone who's had terrible times, that's someone you can trust in. That's someone you can take their word. So we're going to start in Ecclesiastes this evening, and we're going to treat this like we did the book of Habakkuk. We're going to go just a little bit. We're going to read some Scripture, talk a little bit, read some Scripture, talk a little bit. Tonight, this is kind of an introductory message. We're kind of laying the foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes to let us know where the rest of the series is going to go and what the book is entirely about. So tonight, I have no points, not a one. That doesn't mean anything. We're still going to be here for a while, but we're going to basically read the entire first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes and just kind of get the idea of what Solomon is going to be saying through this book. So success is a passion of our generation. It's really not just a passion of our generation. Pretty much every generation has a desire to be successful. Success is something every one of us won't. I, I've never met anyone who, you ask them, what do you want to do with your life? I just want to be a failure. I just want to be a complete and total waste of time. I want to just waste my life and do nothing with it. Now, there are a lot of people who live that away, but if you ask them, that's not how they intended to live their life. All of us want to be successful. And the Bible addresses the subject of success a lot. Specifically, It addresses it in five books in the Old Testament that are called the wisdom books. The the Bible is broken up into a lot of different sections, and there's different categories of writing. There's there's prophetical, there's, there's poetry, there's instructional, and then there's the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature is made up of five books. These books are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And believers who read the scriptures, usually their favorite verse is found in one of these books. When they, they have trouble or they have questions or they have burdens, they, they, they usually flee to one of these books. They read these books. We get comfort from these books. We get instruction from these books. We find joy in these books. And we, we like these books because they're not historical so much as they are individual. They don't list battles and genealogies, but they are narratives of individuals' lives. And as we study their lives, we can relate to their joy. We can relate to the sadness they face. 
We can relate to the, the victories they see. We can relate to the, to the, the, the bad times that they go through. And the, the men that are exemplified in these books, they're very human men. And we can relate to them and we can relate to their feelings. In each one of these books, they have a different purpose. In the book of Proverbs, for example, of course, Proverbs was, most of the Proverbs were written by Solomon. They were all gathered by Solomon. But the, the book of Proverbs tells you how to be successful, whether it's in marriage or business or relationships, whatever area of life you need, the book of Proverbs addresses how to be successful in that area. So if you want to be successful, Proverbs is a guidebook on how to do that, how to be a good student, how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband, how to, be, how to avoid temptation, how to conquer the trials and tribulations of life. We find success on how to be successful in any area of life in the book of Proverbs. It addresses everything from money to relationships to character to how to deal with temptation to how to seek wisdom. So Proverbs teaches us how to be successful. Psalms, of course, are the writings of the great King David. And David, what I love about David is David appears to be a schizophrenic believer. You read one verse of Scripture in Psalms and he's like, Oh God, you are so near to me I can hardly breathe. You love me so much you're always there for me. One more chapter over, he's like, God, why have you forsaken me? You're never around when I need you, God. And he's just got ups and downs and highs and lows. And I can relate to that. Because there's times in my life, there's times in my relationship with God where I'm like, oh God, you are just, you are incredible. You're right here. I can just close my eyes and I feel like I'm in your presence. And then there's times where you're on the floor wailing out to God going, God, I'm praying, but you're just, you're nowhere to be found, God. Why are you not around me? And look, if you've never experienced that, you're lying or you're not saved. Because all of us have had highs and lows in our relationship with God. And so we can relate to David. Then you've got the Song of Solomon. Or the Song of Songs. Now this book is a celebration of love. It's a celebration of marriage. And it's a celebration of the physical aspect of marriage. The, the book of, of Song of Solomon is, in fact, it is so graphic that young Hebrew boys weren't allowed to read it until after they got married. It was considered too risque for them to read. Now, you read it now and some of the things you're like, Man, he compared her neck to a tower. Wow, that's hot. Your, 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 your neck's like a tower. Your ears are like lambs. You're like, what? Now, in the original language, the Hebrew boy's like, whew, that tower neck. Man, that's something right there. So we look at it and we're like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Of course, they understood it. But it's a, it's a, physic, it's a celebration of the physical aspect of marriage. Then you've got the book of Job and Ecclesiastes. And these two books... They teach the exact same lesson, but they teach it from different perspectives. So real quickly, let's go through the book of Job, the story of Job. Now, of course, in the story of Job, the accuser, Satan, he walks into heaven. And he basically says to God, God, I've been walking around through the earth. I've looked at your people, and they are a mess. And God says, yeah, I know. But have you seen Job? And that guy, Job, he's pretty awesome. He loves me. He hates evil. He, he fears me, he respects me, he honors me. Satan, Job, man, Job, he's the best. And Satan goes, well, of course he loves you. Of course he, he treats you well. You've, you've blessed him so much and you've protected him so much. You won't let us touch him. You've got a hedge of protection around him. You've given him everything his heart desires. Of course he loves you and praises you. Take away the hedge of protection. Let us attack him. Let us take away all the blessings you've given. I guarantee you, God, he's going to curse you. And God, in his love, 
and his mercy and his grace. Say, sure, go for it. Man, I bet if Job were here in this conversation, he'd be like, I'm good, God. I'm okay. Don't, don't use me as an example. Use my neighbor. He's, he's, he needs it. So Satan is able to afflict Job, and he, he comes down, and then one day, Job loses everything. He loses all of his wealth. His, and that's bad, but then, and I think the worst part of it is, in one accident, he loses all ten of his children. A parent losing a child is, is tragic. But to lose all your kids in one accident, it's devastating. But Job doesn't curse God. He says, I came in the world naked, I'll go out of the world naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan goes back up to God, and God says, I told you so. And he says, well, he's still got his health. You let me take his health, and I guarantee you he's going to curse you. So again, God says, just don't kill him. Now, if I were Job, I'm like, you can kill me. Let's just, let's just end this. Go, go ahead and kill me. I'll be fine with that. But he comes down, and he afflicts him with a terrible disease. He's got boils all over his body. He's in a, if you, when you find the book, of, in the book of Job, you find him, he's sitting in a dump, a landfill. Not even, he's not even sitting under, he's in a dump. He's got a broken piece of pottery, scraping his raw flesh. He's got dogs licking his wounds. He's broke. His kids are dead. His wife comes to him and says, you know what? It's time for you to just curse God and die. You're holding on to your integrity, and it's ridiculous. God has turned his back on you. It's time for you to just curse God and get this life over with. But he, he still doesn't curse God. He still doesn't turn his back on God. But he does tell us the truth. So Job, he's sitting ashes, completely poor, dogs licking his wounds, and he ends up saying, there's no hope on this earth. There's everything on this earth is meaningless. Our only hope is beyond the sun. Our only hope is in what God has for us in eternity. Job had everything, and he lost it all. And he came to the conclusion that apart from God, there's no hope. Apart from God, there's no meaning. So Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to the exact same conclusion, but he comes to it from a different perspective. God, Solomon has everything anyone could ever want. He has joy. He has pleasure. He has money. He has power. He has prestige. And he looks at everything he has. If he, anything Solomon wanted, Solomon could have had. And he looks at all of it and says, all this stuff I have, this power, this prestige, this money, this pleasure, everything I've got is pointless. It's meaningless. It's worthless. So let's start our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, the words of the preacher the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So right out of the gate, God wants us to know who the author of this book is because the author of this book, knowing who it is, is very important. Of course, Solomon was the king of Israel after David. He was the king who brought Israel to its golden age. Of course, David was the conquering king. He brought the nations back together. He cast out the Canaanites and Perizzites and Hivites and Hittites. And he, he got rid of all the ites in the land. And he, he kind of reunited the nation of Israel. And then he died. And Solomon came into power. And Solomon built a temple of God. And he had all kinds of power and prestige. And he, he brought them into their golden age. And they were wealthy. And they were successful. They were prosperous. And there was peace in the land. And so he, he had incredible wealth and incredible 
incredible power in this time. He is the wealthiest man to ever live. He had more power, more prosperity, more influence, more fame than anyone ever has had before or since. Compared to the average guy on the street, Solomon had everything. He wanted for nothing. There was no pleasure he didn't have. Let's look at verse number 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity, and the Hebrew word for vanity, literally means meaningless. Solomon, the most powerful man, the most wise man, the, most, the richest man to ever live, says everything is meaningless. That, that's powerful coming from a guy who has it all. You know, that's coming from a guy who's just never had anything in his life. He's like, well, you know, your life's kind of meaningless. But this is a man who, who has everything. He, anything he ever wanted, he, he could have had. He says life is meaningless. There's no purpose to it. So everything is meaningless. Solomon, everything is meaningless. Yeah, everything's meaningless. What about marriage? Marriage is meaningless. And look, Solomon had 300 wives. And he looked at 300 wives. He had 600 concubines. That's what he had every pleasure he could want. He looks at marriage and says, marriage is meaningless. Well, what about pleasure? Meaningless. What about wealth? Meaningless. Everything under the sun. Now that phrase under the sun, you're going to see it throughout this verse, this, this book. The word under the sun means everything on earth. So Solomon says, everything on earth is meaningless. My kids, meaningless. Nothing on earth has any purpose. That's, that's a pretty bleak outlook on life. Someone starts going around saying, my whole life is pointless. I mean, we usually start talking to them and trying to, you know, let's get them out of this funk. And maybe they should go see a psychiatrist. Maybe they should be on some medication because, man, they're, they're talking bad. And here's Solomon saying, everything in life is pointless. This isn't coming from a moody teenager. It's coming from a man who had everything in life. And so throughout this book, Solomon talks about every aspect of life, and he says it's meaningless. Matter of fact, 38 times he says everything in life is meaningless. So this man the wisest man to ever live, the wealthiest person to ever live, the most powerful man to ever live, says everything in life is meaningless. Why? Look at verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he hath taketh under the sun? He says all of our work and all of our labor in life is meaningless because eventually we're going to die and leave the world unchanged. Isn't that just, doesn't that just make you happy? No matter what you do in life, it don't matter. Anybody depressed yet? Yeah. Solomon is. It's like, man, preacher, I came to church to get encouraged. We'll get there. I promise. It's going to take a while, but we're going to get there. And we'll get there tonight. I promise you that. So all of our work, all of our labor in life is meaningless because Solomon says eventually we're going to die and leave the world unchanged. This is the idea that only the, th the only things that matter on earth can be experienced by the senses. Solomon is saying, you know, all of everything on earth is something that we can experience by our senses, our seeing, tasting, touching, hearing, or smell. It's a teaching that the only things, only, the only things that are real, the only things that can, are only things, the only things that matter, the only things that are real are things that can be touched or handled or felt 
It's the philosophy of the five senses being what makes something feel real and right. Now, as believers, we have those five senses. We have sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. We have all those senses, but we have a sixth sense. I'm not talking about talking to ghosts, all right, if you all know that movie reference. I'm not talking about that sixth sense. I'm talking about a, a sense to see and feel and understand things of eternity. Everything is meaningless, Solomon says, because we're going to die and nothing we do really changes anything on this earth. Look at verse number four. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. So what Solomon's saying here is life is like a treadmill. It's this circular pattern that we all get caught up into. Every generation enters this world, and they run with vigor and passion. And when it's all said and done, they really didn't go anywhere. They really didn't accomplish anything. Just like the sun does the same thing every day. The wind does the same thing every day. The oceans do the same thing every day. Nature testifies that we are stuck in this kind of circular pattern of life that no matter how hard you work, there's, no, there's always laundry. No matter how many times you wash it, it's always dirty. No matter how many times you cut the grass, it always grows again. The only thing you can do to change that is to douse it with gasoline and catch it on fire. But nothing really ever changes. You do stuff and you just have to do it over and over and over again. Your hair keeps growing for some of us. Your bills always need to be paid. Everything just, it's a circular, constant motion. He is saying all the things we do in life are exhausting and repetitive. And in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. Now skip down to verse number 8. He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eyes is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, he's not, he is talking here about a non-satisfying existence that we get ourselves caught up into. Our lives can sometimes get stuck in a circular pattern. So he's talking about preacher. Well, for most of us, tomorrow, the alarm is going to go off. You're going to wake up. If you love God, you're going to drink coffee. If you don't love God, you'll drink tea. Now, I love tea. But I need some coffee beforehand. And so you'll get up, you'll drink coffee or shower, you'll get dressed, you'll get in your car. Maybe you'll stop at Starbucks, you'll go to school or you'll go to work. You'll get sit in traffic, you'll go to your office, your cubicle or your workstation. Which just, so you'll, just, you'll go to work and you'll work through your day. You'll get there, you'll walk, you'll, you will work until lunch. At lunch you'll eat something, probably with some friends of yours or something. Now, after lunch, you'll go back to your workstation or cubicle or office or classroom or whatever, and you'll work until quitting time. And for your school, 2.30, 3 o'clock, or maybe you work until 5 or 6 or whatever, and then you leave, and maybe you go home after that. Maybe you, you go to the gym, probably don't go to the gym. You probably think, I should go to the gym, but you don't go to the gym. You end up going home. When you get home, you'll, you'll cook some dinner, or you'll stop and get something to eat, but you'll eat some dinner. You'll watch some TV. You'll go to bed. You wake up Tuesday, you do the exact same thing. Now, your schedule may be different. Maybe instead of going to a cubicle, you'll go to a truck, and you'll drive a truck for several hours a night for some reason. That's what you want to do with your life. But you, you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And just hope for a vacation or 
sickness to break it up or the sweet release of death. He can finally be done with this circular pattern of life. There are people, maybe you're one of them, that they pretend that their lives are in this predictable rut. But Solomon is saying every one of us gets stuck in this circular, predictable, constant rut of a life. Now, maybe you think you, you can convince yourself you don't. Let me show you how you do that. Look at verse number 9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. He's saying, listen, people like to pretend their life isn't meaningless. People like to pretend their life isn't stuck in this circular rut of boredom by, by getting trinkets and pretending those trinkets are a new idea. And in the end, they might have more color to them, but they're not new because there's nothing new. All of us have these trinkets that we use to distract ourselves from the fact that we're stuck in this rut. The new iPhone comes out. And there are people, they will camp out in front of a store for like a week and a half to buy the new phone. Why? Because they've got to have the new trinket. And then they'll, they'll, you know when you get a new phone, you know how much time you spend on that phone? You're, oh, you're constantly, oh, I've got to set it up. Oh, look at this new thing it can do. You're showing everybody. But you know what? Eventually, after two or three weeks, you know what? It's, it's just the same old phone. And then they announce, we're coming out with a brand new one in three months. And oh, I've got to have that new one. Why? Because you're trying to break up the monotony of life with stuff. Maybe it's not a new phone. Maybe it's a new car, a new house, a new set of, whatever it is. Solomon says, you, you try to teach yourself life's not meaningless by getting all this stuff, but the fact is, the stuff doesn't make life have any meaning. It just distracts you from the pointlessness of everything, and there's nothing new under the sun. A new gadget, new clothes, or a new house, or a new boat, new car, they bring an excitement to life. It makes you feel better for a while. But no change of work, there's no change of job, no increased income is going to make things better inside of you. And that is what Solomon is lamenting. And in case you're sitting, thing, sitting there thinking, no, I, I'm different, he continues. Look at verse number 11. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So Solomon's answer is, you know what, you may think you're different. You may think your, your trinkets and, and fancy things bring you some meaning to life, but you're going to die, and eventually no one's going to remember you. How many of y'all know who your great, 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 great grandfather is? No, you don't. No, you don't. Most of you probably don't know who your great, great grandfather is. Some of you do, but not all of you. Because you know what? Eventually you're going to die, and after enough time goes by, no one's going to remember you. No one's going to have your picture hanging on a wall. Oh, that's my great, 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 great grandfather Eli. He was a wonderful man. No, who's that? I don't know. Found some picture in my grandma's attic, and that was that. I don't know who it is, but it looked cool, so I sold it on eBay. Eventually, we're going to die, and no one's going to remember you. Look at verse number 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I, verse number 13, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. So when David died, Solomon became king, and God offered Solomon anything he wanted. You know what Solomon asked for? He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for power. He asked for wisdom. He said, I want wisdom. 
because I need wisdom to run this nation God has given me. And so God not only gave him wisdom, but he gave him wealth and power. And so this is what Solomon just said. He said, I, King Solomon, wealthy, wise, powerful Solomon, set out to discover everything that is under heaven. And he said, with all of his wisdom and all of his resources, he looked at all of life and realized everything's empty. Everything's meaningless. He says, with all of his wisdom, with all of his resources, he looked at all of life and realized there's no point to it. Now look at Ecclesiastes 16. It's going to get better, I promise, all right? Look at Ecclesiastes 16. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart hath great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knoweth uh, with increaseth knowledge, increaseth sorrow. So here's, here's what Solomon just said that he did in these verses. He said, I went the highbrow route. I, I, I marbled everything I could get my hands on. I plated everything in gold. I, I ate caviar. I went to the opera. I went to the right clubs. I, I spent my wealth and power. I, I played polo. I did all the rich and famous do. I, and I found all the, the wonderful things in life to be meaningless, to be empty. And so after I acquired all the stuff and I had all those things and I did all those things that the rich did and I decided that they were meaningless. So I, I looked down and I found some redneck brothers of mine and I went and I hung out with them. I burned stuff. I played horseshoes. I went to NASCAR races, ate macaroni and cheese and hamburgers. And I, I stirred up the pot and I did all that. And I found out, you know what? That's meaningless, too. He is saying he lived life with everything and it was empty. And he lived life with nothing, and it was empty. And those two groups always look at each other and envy each other. That's why it's important. People who have nothing always look at the people who have money and wealth and power and say, man, if I could just have that. You know, I always think, if I could just win the lottery, my life would be better. You know how many lottery winners are bankrupt in like a year? And life, you know what happens when you win the lottery? Every relative you never knew you had or tried to get away from comes out of the woodwork looking for you. Every one of them. I mean, look, the ones you try to get away from, they're going to find you. Hey, brother, you're a relative. I'm your cousin from three generations down. You've got to give me some money. Everybody comes looking for you. Everybody wants something from you. You get money. You blow it on stuff that doesn't matter. You waste it. You end up bankrupt, broke, and poor, and, and worse off than when you had. So people who have no money look at people who have all the wealth and power and say, man, if I could just have that, if I could just be famous, if I could just have money, if I could just have this, my life would be so easy. You look at people who are rich and famous and powerful and have money and prestige, and you know what they do? They look at people who have nothing and go, man, if I could just have the simple life, if I could just get rid of all the trappings of this wealth and power, I've got so much responsibility, if I could just lead a simple life, my life would be so much better. Solomon says, I've done both, and both are empty. Both are meaningless. They're both lame and meaningless. So in this book... Solomon looks at six things that every one of us focus on at some point in our life. And we're going to look at these six things throughout the book. He looks at wealth. He looks at religion. He looks at power. He looks at pleasures. He looks at friends. And he looks at work. 
And those are things that most of us, at one time or another, we try to find a meaning in. And these are all the things we pursue. And Solomon says, eventually, all these things that we pursue and we try to find joy in, we try to find joy in our work. I'm just going to be the best employee I can be, and I'm going to rise up through the ranks, and I'm going to become the vice president of the corporation, I'm going to have the best business ever, and I'm going to be the best this and the best that. And we, we throw ourselves into our work, and Solomon says, man, you can do that, but it's pointless. Well, I'm going to just throw myself into, into religion. I'm going to be, be very spiritually minded. I'm going to be the best Christian there can be. And I'm going to, going to read all the books and all the theology. And I'm going to learn all this stuff. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do. And Solomon says, you, you can do all that, that religious stuff, but it's, it, it's pointless. I'm going to get money. I'm going to have all the money I can have and be the most well. And I'll use my money for good. You know, I, people tell me, preacher, pray for, if, if, pray for me. If I win the lottery, I'll give 90% to the church. I'm going to use my money for good. I'll, I'll put missionaries on the field, and I'll, I'll do good things for God, and I'll help build churches. And God, Solomon says, you, you, can, you can get money, but it's, it, it's pointless. He looks at all these things, relationships, pleasures, marriage, all these things. And says, you can pursue them, but they're pointless. No power can keep us alive. No pleasure can fulfill us. No work will satisfy us or give our life meaning. It is all vanity. Now, this is not meant to make us feel bad or hopeless. He is saying this to give us hope because he says 38 times everything under the sun is vanity. So we need someone beyond the sun to give us meaning. John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that might have it more abundantly. So here's what Solomon is teaching us in this entire book. He is saying, your heart is beating, you're breathing in and out, but you're not alive. You're existing. And on your own, no matter what you accomplish... No matter what you accumulate, no matter what you do in life, it is all empty and pointless. But in Christ, there's meaning, there's life, and there's purpose. Now suddenly, these things do have meaning. Now suddenly, when this happens, money doesn't have to, it's not just money, it doesn't have to be your master, it's just something we can use to build God's kingdom. We don't have to have some kind of social status, it just becomes relational. So we can get, we can, it just becomes money, we can give it all away or buy a house because it doesn't own us. See, what Solomon is teaching us is Jesus removes the futility and the vanity of life, and he brings purpose that we are living for and dying for and craving for. Solomon says you can live your life in your own strength, in your own ability, and you can be successful, and you can be rich, and you can be powerful, and you can have everything, and it's pointless. But if you have Christ and you pursue him, no matter what you have, it has meaning and purpose in our relationship with God. Everything under the sun is running under a treadmill. But Solomon wants us to evaluate our life and look beyond the sun. Look to things that matter, things that have meaning. And that begins, Solomon's teaching us, by evaluating our relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't come... 
He didn't leave heaven, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life for 33 years, die a horrible death on the cross that we deserve to die, go to the grave for three days and rise again for nothing. He came, he died, he was buried, he rose again. Yes, to give us eternity, but to give our life purpose and meaning. And that's what Solomon is trying to get us to understand. If you're pursuing stuff in your own strength and your own ability for your own desires, it's pointless. No matter what you do, you're going to die and you can't take it with you. No matter how much money you earn, it's not coming with you. You're going to die and your kids are going to squabble over your money. And eventually, three generations down, people won't even remember you had any money. But if we live for God and we look at our life and say, God, you've given me this. What can I use it for your glory and for your honor? And how can I use what you've given me, not just for me on this earth, but how can I use it for eternity? For times beyond the sun, suddenly our life has meaning. Solomon is telling us life is meaningless without God. But with God, we have purpose to our life. So that begins by evaluating our relationship with Jesus. Are you a child of God? Are you saved tonight? Do you have a home in heaven? If not, everything on this earth is pointless. If you are saved, are you working for His kingdom or for yours? Because His kingdom is never going to fade. Yours is going to die one day. Are you working for him or for you? Are you walking with him? Are you fellowshipping with God the Father? If you're not, then whatever you do for yourself on this earth is worthless. So the thought tonight as we close this first chapter of Ecclesiastes, simply ask, is your life meaningless or are you pursuing God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.